This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint, shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hey, Denise Nakano here, your host on Flashpoint. This week, we're getting down to the root of social anxiety, where a year and a half into the pandemic, you might find yourself more anxious than ever. It's been terrifying. This is the stuff movies are made of. We tap into the lifeline you need to get back to better than normal. A Philadelphia-based organization is helping grieving children who've lost a loved one. It's a space for them to be able to express their feelings, to be able to cry and communicate. Our Changemaker of the Week, a woman bringing health and wellness to the youth of West Philly. It's all about how healthy lifestyles help us to light up our creative center. It's a half hour you need to hear, and it's all coming up on Flashpoint on KYW News Radio. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Denise Nakano. Many people are anticipating the moment when life can get back to pre-pandemic normal, and they're feeling more anxiety about returning to in-person interactions after more than a year of social distancing. This is social anxiety, and a lot more people are experiencing it. We have trauma therapist Sherry Botwin here, the author of Thriving After Trauma, along with two people brave enough to talk about their own experiences with social anxiety, Carly Goldberg, who is living with severe chronic illness, and Tyrell Brown, a kindergarten teacher. Sherry, Carly, and Tyrell, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Sherry, how do we know if we do have social anxiety, and how common is it? I would say these days it's so common. I think more common than it's ever been. And when I think of social anxiety, it's when you feel fearful of being out in public settings, whether it's in your job or out with friends or even just going to social places like the movies or the theater or gatherings, birthday parties. So I think it's one of those things where when we think of social anxiety, it's when it involves other people and being around other people. Now, Carly, you're a trained social worker and a mother of a teenager, and you also have an underlying health condition dealing with chronic illness. Has social anxiety gotten worse for you during the pandemic and in what way? So social anxiety has gotten worse for me and not so much personally for me because I'm mostly due to my illness, which is myalgic encephalomyelitis, formerly known as chronic fatigue syndrome. I'm mostly homebound 
couch bound, bed bound because of my illness. What has been so absolutely terrifying for me is the potential for my caregivers, particularly my husband, who is a sole caregiver to myself and to my teenage son, for him getting sick and then becoming disabled because of the illness. Sherry, how do we know we have social anxiety? And at what point do we have to think, okay, I need professional help to deal with this, or this is just normal for us during the pandemic? So when I think of social anxiety and how you know you might need help, it's when you're not able to function or interact in your relationships or when you feel held hostage by the emotions. Anxiety is something that you can feel in your body. It's it's thoughts that you can have when you notice that you're obsessing or ruminating over these thoughts and when you feel like it's almost taken over your life. That's when you really want to go and get help for it. Tyrell, you come from another perspective where the pandemic has actually helped you rein in your social anxiety. Tell us how you managed to make that happen. Yeah. So in the past, I believe like the social contract and the and the obligation, the social obligations that I think we put on each other to show up at different events and show up at birthday parties and family events. um, It was sort of like an expected thing that we had to do. And we forced ourselves into these spaces, even though it may or may not have been the best for our mental health or physical health. We still did it. We showed up at work as well. And I believe like during the last year, I've been able to ring that in and sort of give myself the agency to actually say no when I don't feel comfortable and to stay home and take care of myself and to take care of my family without feeling that obligation to show up and just to show face even when I don't feel well or I don't feel safe. The pressure is gone. It's 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 been decreased with the pandemic for you. Yes, yes, it's the the pressure has been decreased and now I am I've reined myself in to be able to go I'm going to intentionally do things and spend time with folks that are most important to me but also quality time so I'm not just running out with the new wave of things opening back up and just kind of wanting to run into every space and do it all in one weekend. Now, Carly, have you seen social anxiety also not just affecting you, but your family? Yeah, the social anxiety, like I said, has really greatly taken a toll on my loved ones, my husband in particular, again, as primary caregiver and, um, My mother-in-law, who's been working in a nursing home as uh, an essential employee this entire time, it's been terrifying. This is the stuff movies are made of. And while there have definitely been opportunities, like Terrell was saying, to really reevaluate where do I set my boundaries and how do I take care of myself, there's also been, um, you know, the just absolute fear of not having control. And there's so much uncertainty and there's so much unknown. I think it's really taken a toll in our family around people who are in our little sacred bubble and who do come into our home to help us with basic caregiving needs that really became scary of who we let in the house and who we had help us out. Sherry, what can we do to ease social anxiety, like in Carly's case or with her family and friends or in Tyrell's case, make sure that it stays in check? See, I like what both of you are talking about. When you have social anxiety, to know that you can set boundaries And to be able to say to yourself, there are things in this world that I have no control over, but what are the things that I do have control over? I can say no. I can make choices that work 
for me and not have to worry about what other people are thinking. Like Tyrell, you're saying like, you can decide what things you're going to go to and what things you're not going to go to. And I think too, Carly, when you're talking about like stuff in the family and how this has really come into your family to be able to sit down as a family and say, what are the things that make me, what are the things that make us feel comfortable and how is the best way for us to proceed or move forward and not worry about what anybody else thinks. Yeah, many people might be wondering, how do we get ourselves ready to get back out into the world again? And Tyrell, you're saying you are not, definitely not going to go back to your pre-pandemic days. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not necessarily like a yes or no. I think it exists in a gray area. And I think I'll grow into more a more of a comfortable place of being able to do more. But, you know, in the interim, it's just giving myself the agency to say no and leave it at a flat no without excuse. Uh, and just kind of going like, no, I don't feel comfortable. But also understanding that my friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, colleagues, et cetera, are all like holding this at the same time as well. So making sure that I'm giving levity to them and they're giving levity to me. So that way, when I do say that I can't do it, I also recognize that they might be in the same space as well when I request for them to do something and just really kind of working to reset the boundaries and refocus and then also just to give people a soft place to land right now as we're really trying to get, you know, formulate ourselves into the new normal that this is going to be in for the foreseeable future, but then also in the extended future, if we perhaps have to deal with another wave or what have you going forward. Sherry, what have you noticed in your practice? Have you seen heightened social anxiety? I mean, it's gone through the roof, to be honest with you. And it, it makes me very sad because a lot of times people already struggle with this stuff before pandemic. So like what you're talking about, Tyrell, with we were home for so long. And now, Denise, as you're talking about the world opening up, there's so much pressure to just go out and live the life that we were living before as if nothing happened. The thing I think about, and I talk to my patients about this, when somebody is struggling with something like social anxiety, it's not something that you can fix in a day or or even in a week or a month, it's a process. And I think with the constant changes with COVID, it's like being on a roller coaster. People take steps forward and then they take steps back. And it seems as though every week or month we're given new guidelines or, or we're being advised about how to go about our life with these different restrictions and they keep going up and down. And it's like, it's, it's such a, a bumpy road. Um, and I feel like, the one good thing about all this is for people who struggle with social anxiety, this is really an opportunity for you, like you're both saying, to put your foot down and say, this is my process. How I move through this is about me and up to me and not to let other people judge you. Because I think from what I'm seeing in my practice, people are inching forward. They're not just jumping off the, you know, the diving board and saying, here I am, I'm back in, in, in social settings. They're really looking at each particular event or opportunity and making a choice based on how they feel in that particular situation. So it's really about taking that one step at a time approach. Taking it one step at a time and saying to yourself, my experience is different than your experience and that is okay. And Carly, what is the, the step that you hope to take for yourself as you move through? 
it's interesting because I've been, especially for the past four years, uh, living with a severe illness, I've had to set a lot of boundaries for myself and do things that are definitely questioned or judged. And, and I have to, you know, say, well, this is my life. This is my body. This is how I have to live. So I was wearing masks outside in public before that was even a thing because I'm, I'm sensitive to chemicals and to, and to smells. Um, and I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user. So I'm in a wheelchair. Sometimes I'll walk, sometimes I'll roll. So I'm used to setting boundaries for myself. My family is pretty, is pretty good at, you know, having conversations and understanding our needs, not only for me, but for as our, our family uh, more broadly. The thing I really want to stress for my moving forward to kind of pulls out to a bit of a broader perspective is I'm not interested in returning to normal. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in taking what we have seen, the this discrepancy and this disparity in healthcare of particularly BIPOC folks, Black, Indigenous, people of color. I'm looking at taking what we're learning about access to care for disabled and chronically ill folks. And I'm looking to take Whereas we wouldn't have access, now telehealth is available, whereas it wasn't available. I couldn't see doctors for years because I couldn't have a telehealth appointment and I couldn't leave my house. Um, thinking about our essential workers and many of them who live in multi-generational families, many who are undocumented, and what resources do they have access to food and health care? I'm looking forward to stepping into the new normal to, again, stepping into a space where my social anxiety is this anxiety around quite literally our society, our community. I'm really interested in ensuring that we don't lose sight of everything that we learned. No body is disposable. Part of our inching back is inching back to create a whole transformative, liberatory society and community. And that for me is what feels most powerful as I start to return an inch back into the world. And you can really talk from experience because some of the symptoms that you face with chronic illness is very similar to what those with long COVID face. Exactly. So the illness I have, myalgic encephalomyelitis, formerly known as chronic fatigue syndrome, is a post-viral illness. For decades, anytime there's been a viral outbreak, we have seen the ME symptoms. So with no surprise, our ME community, I'm very active in um, an organization called ME Action, and ME Action does grassroots organizing and activism work. And what we saw immediately is people were getting sick with Uh, COVID is that people then were not recovering and they were starting to develop neurological symptoms and uh, respiratory symptoms and multi-systems where people were sick for three months, six months. Now we're seeing 12 months. So the sad part is is that ME has been under-recognized, underfunded for decades. It is not a rare illness. It's between 15 and 25 million people worldwide. Frankly, what also terrifies me the most, in addition to everything else I spoke on, was the sequelae of COVID and what's happening. People, millions of people are going to be disabled because of this illness. And to me, that is absolutely frightening. And that might just add to you know, the anxiety that we're talking about. And and Tyrell, you said, as Carly had mentioned, she's looking forward to kind of a new normal, but you're also looking forward to a, a better normal as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I, I appreciate what, what Carly shared. I think one of the things that happened during the shutdown 
And during COVID, especially early on when people were running in fear, essentially, um, and stark fear, that one of the things that we really saw and were able to wrap our hearts and arms around was caring for each other, checking in on loved ones, neighbors, so on and so on, making sure people had food and resources. And to me, like the work going forward and has made me feel powerful as well to not just take on my anxiety, but also to wrap my arms around community is to be able to work on ensuring that we have systems that can withstand the impact of, you know, a pandemic or an epidemic so that way we don't have people, you know, in BIPOC communities or lower income communities falling through the cracks of what we haven't created when we do have a chance and an opportunity to transform things. And with me, the energy right now is, is about how to transform my anxiety, not necessarily to combat it or battle it, because I've done that my entire life and it doesn't work. But how do I transform it and the work right now that I'm taking on? is in transforming my anxiety so that way I can actually raise my platform to help other people because frankly we're in a position right now where people need to know that the new professional normal is how can I help it's no longer you know how can I help myself but how can I reach out and help community spread the love spread the wealth and spread the wellness as much as we possibly can. Yeah, Sherry, how do we transform anxiety into something that we can use as a fuel as opposed to something that holds us back? Yeah, what I love about what both of you are saying is you're talking, we're talking about social anxiety, right? But you're also talking about the importance of connection, the importance of taking the things that you struggle with and using those those different things that you struggle with to reach out to the community and to be able to say, this is something that I deal with and this is what needs to be changed. So to be able to take some of the worst of our experiences and think about how can I, how can I find the good in this? How can I help other people in this? And the idea of connection, if you think about anxiety, one of the worst parts of social anxiety is the isolation that you experience, but you're both talking about reaching out to your community. You're both talking about looking out for other people. When you were saying Tyrell, um, you know, we used to be more of a society that thought, how do I help myself? And now as we've gone through this pandemic, we're more conscious and aware of, but how can I help other people? It's in helping other people and reaching out to other people that you're actually you're reducing some of your own anxiety and you probably don't even realize it because you're talking to other people who have similar feelings and you're knowing, okay, good. This is not just me. This is something that a lot of other people can relate to. So I think to be able to continue to work on using the things that we struggle with to help ourselves, but also be helping others is one of the best coping strategies for social anxiety. And Sherry, what would you like people to know if there's one key point to come away with about social anxiety after listening to this episode of Flashpoint? Do what works for you and do it in your own way. Take your time, go one step at a time and know that any progress that you're making is progress, even if you take some steps back in the process. 
Well, as social distancing restrictions loosen up and more people become vaccinated, social anxiety is becoming more common and normal. Thank you so much for joining us, Carly, Tyrell, and Sherry, whose book Thriving with Trauma is coming out in paperback in about a month and a half. We really appreciate your perspective, your insight, and your openness. Thank you. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. I'm Denise Nakano. Uplift Center for Grieving Children is helping children grieving a death to heal, grow, and manage their grief, anxieties, and fears. Shara Day Howard spoke with Catherine Strait and Tiffany Chalmas with the center about the importance of their work, especially right now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Philadelphia has been notably in the throes of both a pandemic and an epidemic of gun violence, like so many major cities across the country. But what makes Philadelphia different, what separates this city from others, are places like the Uplift Center for Grieving Children. That's now partnering with CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, to help youth deal with the loss of a loved one. Something my guests say is right on time, as hundreds of children in our area try to cope with the fallout of both gun violence and the isolation of the pandemic. Catherine and Tiffany, welcome. Thanks for coming. Tiffany, can you tell us about your work and how it serves Philadelphia's communities best. My official title is an uplift clinician. My primary role is CHOP groups. So the majority of my time, I am working with the CHOP partnership and doing grief and ambiguous loss groups out in West Philadelphia at Comagies and Hamilton School. And the other part of my job is doing almost like crisis management, but also community service. It started off as a space for people to go to when they were having a hard time as a result of the pandemic and has kind of evolved to be a helping source. So if people need resources, need to be connected. And Catherine, what's your role at Uplift? So I'm the training coordinator at Uplift Center for Grieving Children. In relationship to the CHOP partner with the Nutter Center for Community Partnerships, I am lucky enough to get to co-facilitate those grief and loss groups with Tiffany. We also do training and professional development opportunities to school staff and clinicians and really any 
adult around the city who are interested in learning more about the ways that children experience grief and loss and learning about the ways that we can support them in that. Grief is often not something that society makes a lot of space to talk about. So let's talk about what Uplift is and what Uplift does for the community. Sure. So we are now in our 21st year of serving children in the Philadelphia community who have lost a close loved one or family friends or just somebody close to them. It could be a natural death. It could be a homicide. It could be we serve children between the ages of six and 21. And we have different platforms in which they may come and receive services. So sometimes students who might have busier schedules, we service them in the schools where we come directly into the schools. We follow a peer supported model under the understanding that, you know, we can feel isolated in our loss. And so students are able to be combined with other students who are close in age are also experiencing a loss. And like I said, you can get that through a school platform or in our family services. So running alongside this child group so that parents can understand how they can better help and serve their child and their grief. And what about those students and those children who need immediate attention, who are going through a crisis? We also have crisis support to honor students who may have died within the school community and so we come directly into the school and help students who are grieving the loss of that child as well as teacher supports and just how to handle that. And then as Kevin said, training. So that comes with just that full circle of making sure adults can understand how to support children in their grief. Can you tell us more about your partnership with CHOP and how that works? our new partnership with CHOP where we go into the after school program. So traditionally we will go to students in schools and with the partnership with Netter, we're actually seeing students in an after school setting. Given the uptick in violence in Philadelphia, how is Uplift serving those particular students, students that are suffering from the fallout of gun violence? Yes, definitely. So as you can imagine, a homicide or a gun violence will fall into a bracket of, of an unexpected death. The impact that it can have on the children that we serve. The person that they lost could have been a provider. They could have been somebody who was responsible for how they ate or where they lived at if it was a parent. Just having that immediately snatched away from them. How do they deal with that? How do they cope with that? How do they continue to go on with their everyday when someone so close to them has died? And in a lot of instances, we've seen students who've experienced this firsthand have been there when a person has been shot or killed and the traumatic effects that that can have on them. And it comes up a lot in our groups, maybe through nightmares or just wanting to talk about it and have those conversations. And that's what's really special about our groups is that it's a space for them to be able to talk. It's a space for them to be able to express their feelings, to be able to cry and to be able to communicate how they may be feeling or thoughts that they may be having, what they're doing to go through or what they need to do in order to continue So it's definitely a lot. We're doing now with CHOP and Netter. CHOP has a relationship with the Netter Center, which is an after-school program. They are in schools in the West Philadelphia area. We meet with those after-school programs in the evenings and come in and run our groups. There's the two different types of groups that our students can have, and depending on the need, we'll determine which group focus it will be. Because they're trying to honor the fact that students are just returning back to school prior to COVID, and that falls under an ambiguous 
this loss bracket, that's a little bit more open to maybe feeling a loss of connection with friends, a loss of going to school. They could be in a grief specific group where, like you mentioned before, with the gun violence, a death because of a sickness, a death because of old age, all of those things would be in the general grief group. And now let's talk about anxiety. Anxiety isn't just an adult issue. It's also an issue that a lot of young people deal with, especially during times of the pandemic and now, of course, with the gun violence increase. How are you guys addressing anxiety in children? You know, it's so interesting that you asked about anxiety because one of the things that we've noticed with the students that we serve is that they don't always have the words for the feelings that they have. And anxiety has come up often in our groups, it might start off as a discussion of worry. When we get into our discussions about our feelings and how we can have those feelings in our bodies, like our, our hands might get moist or our stomach might get upset. And students can resonate with those visceral feelings that they have. And then we had those discussions about anxiety. And in the group, you really start to see students start to understand what's going on, start to understand what feelings that they're having and be aiming to associate words to those feelings so that they can understand then what the next step should be to do when they're having these feelings. When I'm anxious, what do I need to do? Or how can I bring myself back to center? Or who is my safe person that I can go to if I'm feeling these ways? Please do help me out here. Adults at times are too quick to assume that kids will just be resilient and maybe take too long and or ignore signs that give insight into a youth's mental health. What are some things that we should be paying attention to? Definitely. And I also think that we do not give enough credit to our nonverbal cues that we give children. That's another thing that comes up often in the room. They don't want to talk about it because they don't want to make mom upset. They don't understand why they weren't invited to the funeral. There's so many different elements to grief and how adults handle grief and how adult has expectations of how children can handle or deal with grief. It comes up in the room all the time. You know, the ways that we feel we want to protect children and they know that that's not quite the truth. It, it leads to frustration. We come there with a toolkit to help, but we let them know that they lead the way. We deal with children in six-week increments. And it's so exciting to see the growth. And Catherine, what do people need to know about Uplift and really how it reaches children and changes lives? What we would love for people to know is that grief is a natural response. There's nothing right or wrong. Grief might not end because we're always going to miss them. And that's okay. You know, just because somebody has died or we've lost somebody doesn't mean our relationship with them has died. But really figuring out ways we can continue that relationship with the person even after they're gone. But that's really what grief is all about. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming and sharing the really important work that you're doing. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. 
The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Antoinette Lee here, and this week's changemaker is Giada Murdick. She's the founder of a local nonprofit called Get Fresh Daily. Her organization brings access to health and wellness to underserved communities. Now, for a few weeks this summer, Gianna and her team hosted a group of kids at Malcolm X Park in West Philly. It's called Camp Excellence, and the camp has made a big difference for a lot of kids' lives this summer. Here's why. As distance learning has become the norm, the pandemic has been hard for a lot of kids. I'm passionate about healthy living. I'm passionate about my people and community, but I am an educator. But through her summer camp, Gianna Murdick is bridging the gap. Really trying to make that connection. So Camp Excellence really came out of that space where I knew that we needed more. She's making healthy and holistic living more accessible and fun at a time when kids could use it the most. It's all about arts and wellness and really tapping in how healthy lifestyles help us to light up our creative center and really using all of these tools to manifest our our best selves. Her camp excellence has hosted youth in the West Philly area and beyond throughout the summer, teaching them plant-based living techniques and mindfulness, all at a very little cost to them, but with a big payoff. They just were very happy to play and run. And, you know, like the favorite thing to do is play on the playground because they haven't played on a playground in like a year and a half. And then also mindfulness. Mindfulness is such a key component of camp excellence because if you are stressed, if you have a lot of trauma, which speaks to so many people in the Black community, it's like, yeah, I can't worry about what food it is. I'm trying to survive. When we talk about mindfulness, it's really about being aware of these stress and traumas and things, that's that's valid and we feel the way we feel about it, but we don't have to stay in that space. And what are some tools and techniques that we can use? And it's all a part of Murdoch's nonprofit mission at Give Fresh Daily, where she says there's a lot more in store. So at 52nd and Pine, right there in front of Global Leadership Academy, we're building out a beautiful destination for wellness right there in the heart of West Philadelphia. It is going to be a site where we're going to have a lot of the dynamic programs that people know us for. So like the yoga and mindfulness, the Afro vibes, dancing, things like that. In addition to having plant-based food options available, we're going to be doing fresh fruit and vegetable distributions that are free and open to the community that live there. Our plant-based food box is going to be coming in October. So as well as our plant-based cooking classes, which are also going to start in October. Now you can keep up with Get Fresh Daily's upcoming events by checking out their website, getfreshdaily.org, or find them on Instagram. As always, if you know a change maker we should highlight next, someone, anyone who's making a difference in your community, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at ARLeeOnAir. That's A-R-L-E-E on air. That's it for this week's Flashpoint. For Shara Day Howard, Antoinette Lee, and our producer, Ariane Fulcher, I'm your host, Denise Nakano, leaving you with a quote from Virginia Woolf. No need to hurry. No need to sparkle. No need to be anybody but oneself. And remember, life's an adventure. Thanks for joining me on this journey. We'll see you next time. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.